What I'd like to do this morning is to share um, some thoughts that I've had out of Psalm 37. I've been thinking about Psalm 37 for a couple of months now, actually. And um, it's been a real blessing to me, and I hope the Lord will use his word to encourage your hearts. This is a psalm that's written by David, and it was written when he's older. It comes up in the the psalm, later on in the psalm, in verse 25, it says that, uh, I have been young, but now I am old. So this is David writing to to us when he was an older man. So he had gone through a number of things in his life. And he starts the psalm out by giving us an admonition not to fret when we see evil in the world. So let's just read down. I'm not going to read the whole psalm because it's 40 verses, but I will read the first 10 or 11 verses and uh, kind of give an overview, and then really try to focus on verses 1 and 2, and then the bulk of the message, verses 3 through 7. So let's just read down through the first 10 or 11 verses. It says, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass, And fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. And I think that ESV says, trust in him also and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. So he gives us this exhortation or admonition not to be fretting when you look around and see all the evil that's see wrongdoers you see people cheating see people lying you see people uh, doing wicked things and they seem to be prospering they seem to be getting away with it he says don't fret about that when I looked up fret it means to feel or express worry annoyance or discontent and I think you can even put in anger in there and there is a right sense in which you see injustice being done and you don't like it it bothers you and that's right there is a right sense of that but listen if you fixate on that it's going to ruin you you cannot we live in a lost world 
you cannot fixate on all the wrongs that are in the world or it's you're going to go down and he he gives us three reasons why we shouldn't be fixating on these temporal things these wrongdoers that are getting away with things and you get all worked up about it in your heart first thing he says is in verse 2 it's temporary It says, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. It's just for a season. Now, you may say, well, they've been rich and prospering and cheating their whole life. Yeah, maybe. But their whole life compared to eternity is just a moment. It's just a moment. It's like the grass that's really lush in the spring And in the fall or winter, it just withers away and it dies. That's what the life is like. That's what our life is like. It's going quickly. He says, so keep in mind the eternal perspective. Wicked men are going to perish. They're they're not going to last. It's not going to be forever. You see it in verse 10. Yet a little while and the wicked will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. These cemeteries around here are probably filled with people during their life that were wicked. And you go out there, you can't even find who it was that was buried there sometimes. The gravestone's covered over. can't find them. They're gone. It's temporal. So don't waste a lot of energy fixating on these things and getting all worked up about things that are not going to last. Second thing, verse 8, this is the second reason not to fret that David warns us about. It says, cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. It leads only to evil doing. You are, if you're fixated on that and you're getting all worked up about those things, you're going to sin. You're going to sin. You're going to sin in your heart. You're going to sin in your mind, thinking things. You may act out those things, say things you regret later. But he's saying that if you're getting worked up about these things, don't fret about these things. It's just going to lead to sin. It's going to lead to more. That's amazing what he uses. It only leads to evil doing. <clears throat> and then the third thing he mentions here, verse 9, for the evildoer will be cut off. There's going to be a judgment of the evildoer. He's not going to inherit the land. You notice what it says there. Um, <clears throat> the humble will inherit the land in verse 11. Um, <clears throat> verse 9 but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. The evildoers are going to be cut off. They're not going to inherit the land. There's a judgment coming. And the people, you know, we think that they're getting away with stuff. Nobody's getting away with anything. God sees everything. And every person is going to give an account. And he sees it all. There's an old preacher, I don't know who it was, but I'd heard this old preacher say, uh, or read about it. There is a payday someday for everybody. There is a payday someday. So they're not getting away with anything. 
Now, when you look at the psalm as a whole, verses 9 through 40, basically what he's doing is David is taking and contrasting the character of the righteous, the character of the wicked. He's contrasting the security of the righteous who trust in the Lord and the insecurity of the wicked. And he contrasts the end of the righteous and the end of the wicked. Righteous inherit the land, the wicked are cut off. So what, that's what you have, just verses related to those things, the rest of the psalm. But what I want to focus the, the, most of our time on here is verses 3 through 7, which is, according to me, the remedy for fretting. This is things that will keep you away from fretting and stewing about these temporal things that are going on, these injustices that are going on. First thing he says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. So I want to take those little phrases apart. Trust in the Lord and do good. Charles Spurgeon says, faith cures fretting. Faith cures fretting. He goes on to say, sight is cross-eyed and views things only as they appear or seem. You look at something, it seems like a person's getting away with it. Seems like the wicked are prospering. Faith, or he says, um, <clears throat> the wicked man, whoops, excuse me, lost my place here. Um, <clears throat> let me finish the quote here. Sight views things as they seem. Faith has clearer vision to behold things as they really are. So the con- so what you have is you you view things as they seem, and you may even be envious. And that's what he warns us of in verse one. Do not be envious of them. <clears throat> Faith sees reality. He sees the end, and so there's peace. You can trust God. There's peace. <clears throat> so trust the Lord. God sees it all. <clears throat> Second thing he says, do what is right or do good. Do good. Do what's right. Don't lose heart in that. You do what's right. Um, <clears throat> when you're doing that, things have a way of changing the perspective when you continue to walk and do right. Um, in every situation, don't let the circumstances, in other words, don't let circumstances dictate what you're going to do. You act rightly. You act and do right. There is a tendency that we have when we look around and see people getting away with things that aren't right to lose heart. You say, what's the use? I go to work. I work. I spend time at work. I do it. I'm following what they tell us to do. And I see these people taking shortcuts all the time. They have more free time on their hands. 
what's the use? Why do I spend all spend my energy doing this when these people are getting away with it? So there is a we have to be careful. There's a tendency to look around at people who are not doing good, and we get kind of discouraged. Well, what's what difference does it make? Doesn't seem to have any impact on anything. Um, I asked Rick if I could share this illustration, but um, there was a number, it was a couple years, a few years ago, Rick and I were talking, and a co-worker of his said, why are you being so meticulous about the details when when you're building these decks and stuff? These people don't know what you're doing. What difference does it make? You save time, you save money. Why are you being so particular? And I thought Rick's response was great. They don't know, but I know. I know I'm I'm not doing right if I cut those corners. See, in every circumstance, you do what's right. God blesses that. We've got scripture on this about not growing weary and well-doing. We've got Galatians. It says, do not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And in Thessalonians it says, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Do what you're supposed to do. In every situation, do right. And then he says, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. <clears throat> wherever you are. I, I really take this to mean dwell in the land is just where has God put you? That's the land you're in right now. That's where God's put you. If you're a student, that's where God's put you. If you have a job working for somebody, that's where God's put you. If you're in this church, that's where God's put you. Where you are, dwell there, live there. Don't be wishing to be somewhere else. Be all there. And be faithful to the Lord while you're there. Dwell in the land. Cultivate faithfulness. You know, when you cultivate the soil, you're working it up because you're planted a plant something there, a crop, that will produce fruit. Well, he's saying here, cultivate the soil of your heart. Be faithful. Cultivate that faithfulness. No area in our life is too small to cultivate faithfulness. You know, there's... um, Scripture that the Lord said, he who is faithful in little, very little, it says in my Bible, he who is faithful in very little thing will be faithful in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing will be unrighteous in much. It's a deception to think that someday I'm going to be faithful. But right now, circumstances are such, it's, it's kind of hard. So I know the Lord has spoken to me that I need to be giving. 
But I'm just not in a situation right now. I, someday, someday I will. I know that the Lord uh, uh, wants me to have devotionals with my kids. I know that. I, I've seen that. I, I feel convicted about that. But my schedule is just such that I can't get it in, it seems like. I know this, I know that, but there's always some reason. Little things, little things, faithfulness in little things. Young people, if you've got chores to do at home, be faithful in it. Do them. That builds faithfulness for the big things. You're not going to be faithful in the big things if you're not faithful in the little things. That's what the Lord is saying. If you're unrighteous in the little things, you will be unrighteous in the big things. So be faithful right now. Cultivate that in your life. Some of you know my favorite saying, so I'll say it again. Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China, and we've got this on our refrigerator. A little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in a little thing, that's a big thing. It's a big thing to God. That's what Christ was saying. It's a big thing. To be faithful in little things is a really big thing. And if you are um, faithful in those things, you will then, it grows. You begin to be more faithful in other things. Some translate this... uh, cultivate faithfulness as feed on his faithfulness as I was reading about this and again uh, it fits in and in other words right in the situation you are bring to remembrance meditate on God's faithfulness to his people as you're reading the scripture think about God's faithfulness to his people Josh and Katie and I last week were standing back there between the meetings and talking about how God has led us to where we are today. What is that? That's God being faithful to us, to lead us. And so think about those things. What you're doing when you're doing that is your focus is moving off of these things that are you're fretting about onto God and when your, faith, when your focus is on God, you realize he has been faithful to me over these years. And it just creates a desire to want to trust him and walk with him and be faithful for the future. Because he's led me in the past. <clears throat> and it's a remedy for fretting. Then he says, delight yourself. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. We all are delighting in something. Everybody delights in something. question is, what are you delighting in? Things you delight in, you enjoy talking about. You enjoy thinking about. So what what are we delighting in? And David says we need to delight in the Lord. And he'll give us the desires of our heart. And I have a really good illustration of this verse. <clears throat> Before Terry and I were married, she had a acquaintance come up to her and give her this verse and just said, I have a verse for you. 
And it's this, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And she's out walking and praying, thinking about this. And she said, basically, Lord, I don't even know what my desires really are. I really don't know. But I know that you know me better than I know myself. So would you give me your desires? See, what a wonderful prayer that is. Lord, would you give me your desires? It's pretty amazing, really, you think about it. Think about this. You were created by God, and you were created for God. He knows you better than you know yourself. Doesn't it only make sense to have his desires be your desires? It only makes sense. It's logical. If he created you for himself, you know, Dick quoted that um, verse from the catechism, the old catechism. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. He He shared that last week. And he said, when we enjoy God, we're glorifying God. That's the way you glorify God. One of the ways you glorify God is you just enjoy him. <clears throat> so if you ask for His him to put his desires, you find really that you're getting the desires of your heart. That's the deepest longing of your heart. <clears throat> Matthew Henry said, we must make God our heart's delight, then we shall have our heart's desire. I thought that's good. When God becomes your delight, your heart's delight, your desires are met. That's who you were created for. That's your destiny, to to love God. That's what you're created for. There was a fellow I was reading this week, Andrew McLaren, commentator and he says here is the secret of tranquility in freedom from eager and earthly desires delight thyself in the lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart the great reason why life is troubled and restless lies not outside of ourselves but within it is not our changing circumstances But this is the phrase, but our unregulated desires that rob us of peace. Unregulated desires. He goes on to say, those unregulated desires make necessary, that we make necessary for our contentment. We make Lord of our happiness. So anything outside of God that we choose to make, that's a necessary thing for our happiness will always disappoint because everything around us is going to fade. It's passing away. You know, our bodies, they're passing away. If you're trying to delight in your body and you're working out and trying to beautify yourself, you're going to get, someday you're going to stand in front of the mirror and you're going to say, what happened? I can't even lift that thing anymore. I used to be able to move pianos. I can't do that anymore. 
Am I delighting in the flesh and my strength? You're going to be disappointed in the end because it's all passing away. Yet you can delight in God in your heart, and it only grows stronger. It doesn't grow weaker. It grows stronger. Now, it's not that you don't desire other things, but here's what McLaren goes on to say. He says, this text does not enjoin the extinction or the subordinate, but the subordination of other desires and needs and things. He says, here's the key. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first. The, the Lord acknowledges that in the word. We know you need food and clothing, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let that be the dominant desire which controls and underlies all the rest. Delighting in God. Now, when you delight in God, it's pretty easy to say, Lord, I'm yours. Commit my way to you. I commit my way to you. That's what it says in verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he'll do it. Think about this. Think of all the anxiety and worry people go through just in living life. Decisions that have to be made in life. And it's, there's a lot of them. <clears throat> we have to make decisions. We have to decide something. You can't just not decide. But the difference is, is that you're not deciding it in your own wisdom. You see, we need wisdom. We need wisdom beyond ourselves for so many things. But what you're doing when you commit your way to the Lord is you're submitting your judgment to God. And you're doing that in the confidence that his wisdom will direct your steps. And that is exactly what Proverbs says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Or another version says, he will direct your steps. So yes, we make decisions, but those decisions are always made in the context of our laying them before God and saying, Lord, what would you have me to do here? I'm not sure what I should do here, Lord. Would you, would you direct me? And he does. Because it says there at the rest of the verse, it says, trust also in him and he will do it. Or, ESV, he will act. Now think about this. You're committing your way to the Lord, and he's promised that if you do that, he's going to act in your behalf. Who would you rather have acting in your behalf? Your own limited wisdom or Almighty God acting in your behalf? That's what he's saying. Commit your way to the Lord, and he will act. <clears throat> and then he, um, he, verse 6, I really think is just a, thing that David went through where he just was slandered and misrepresented and he just puts in here 
He will bring forth your righteousness as light and your judgment as the noonday. In other words, God, you don't have to worry about protecting yourself. God will do that. Your reputation, God will take care of that reputation. Your name, God will take care of that name. Now, it may not seem like it's going to happen right away, but he follows it up with, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. An element of trust, when we're talking about trusting God, an element of trust is to be willing to patiently wait for God to act. We don't have to do it ourselves. We're not relying on our own fix. I got to fix this thing. I got to rely on my own understanding. Lord, I'm trusting you with this, and I'm willing to wait. God's time isn't our time. Spurgeon says, God's worth waiting for. And you've experienced that. Some of you have experienced that, where you you just had to wait on God in a situation. Might have been marriage. You wanted to get married, and you just had to wait on God. And God acted in your behalf. It might be provision for something. You had a financial need I mean, I'm speaking of from my own need, financial need in my life, and we just had to commit it to the Lord. And the Lord acted on our behalf. People gave. Hospital bills were paid. God acted on our behalf. We waited on God, trusted him. What a wonderful thing that God's worth waiting for. So in summary then, we looked at three reasons not to be envious of the evildoers. It's temporal. They're temporal. It'll lead to sin on our part. Keep the eternal perspective. There's a payday coming someday. Nobody's getting away with anything. Remedy for fretting. Faith. Trust God right where you are right now. Do what you're supposed to do and be faithful in it. Secondly, make God your delight. Make God the delight of your heart. Thirdly, when you do that, it'll be easy to commit your way to the Lord. And then lastly, be willing to wait on God. He's worth waiting for. Amen.